Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, where we will bring you some of the most interesting interviews and features from the world of tech. Visit irishtechnews.ie and check out our podcast section to explore all of our previous episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast using whatever your favourite app or service is by visiting anchor.fm forward slash irish dash tech dash news. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast. This is your host, Jamil Hassan, a.k.a. Crypto Hipster, and where I cover all things crypto and blockchain related and from across the globe, across the world. And today I have the pleasure and distinct honor, and I think it's going to be a great podcast. Uh, my guest is Cyrus Tegashan from Split, SPL period YT, Split. Uh, Cyrus, welcome today. Hey, thanks, Jamil. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, you're welcome. It's, I'm excited about this uh, podcast today. Um, so first question to kick things off is, um, can you tell us a little bit about your background and is it a logical background to what you do now? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, when I first got introduced to blockchain and its technology, I was like, wow, like my experience had led me to here. <laughs> uh, so I started my career in... Uh, cloud that oblig uh, um, obligations and um, uh, mortgage-backed securities. So I come from a finance background, and um, you know that bodes well to the whole trading aspect of cryptocurrencies. Um, understanding that you know taker, maker orders, and all that kind of stuff. Um, then I pivoted my career to work at Deloitte Consulting as an e-commerce technical consultant. So I helped uh, Fortune 500 companies come up with solutions for their e-commerce um, problems or digital marketing. And um, you know that's really important when you're trying to implement such a enterprise-grade type of technology, um, working with... Uh, you know, a tech team and also building it out for, you know, a mass audience of people that use the blockchain and cryptocurrencies is, is, is no small undertaking. Uh, so my experience at Deloitte really prepped me for that. Um, before I started Split, I also had a couple startups. Um, so I got to taste the startup life, what it takes to make a startup, the sacrifices you're going to have to make, you know, all the ramen noodle nights. <laughs> Uh, you know, for any other entrepreneur out there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But um, so I'm also a six times founder. I've been funded by uh, a couple of Silicon Valley startups, uh, VCs, um, and have two portfolio companies at a at a at a um, um, VC company um, this past few years. And all of that up, um, you know, led me to um, getting heavily involved in the Ethereum community in 2017. Um, during that time period, I started also going through a journey of self-growth. Um, well, it's been always a critical part of me for when I was growing up, but I specifically took um, a course through CTI, Coactive Training Institute, to so become a better leader, um, lead through serving leadership and uh, building agile teams. Um, you know, I'm also I've also um, trained and teached agility to over like ten thousand people for for enterprise and. You know, part of part of agility is raising one's awareness and transcending beyond just the typical way of things are done. Um, and I think the ethos of blockchain, outside of the technology and outside of the financial implications, it's about lifestyle change. This paradigm shift from living more in a you know 
corporatistic or capitalistic type of society and moving more towards something a little more collaborative. It doesn't necessarily have to be socialism, but you know, you could still have that, you know, merit-based reward system to promote innovation while still doing it in such a way that's greater for the whole good. I, I call it more hoacracy, to be honest with you. I don't think that's talked about enough, um, but uh, you know, some companies started implementing them at their um, at their uh, team structure level, such as Zappos. Um, so you know, they're more of a flat organization, decentralizing decision making, um, and the governance around that. So I was trained, um, and I trained others uh, on that that wavelength for 10 years so taking my spiritual side and my practical skill set side it all just kind of meshed well perfectly with what blockchain was trying to accomplish and um you know i'm trying to do everything in my power to take everything that i've learned and you know give that back to society and community um you know it's i i feel privileged to be in the position i'm in just to be honest <laughs> awesome awesome i first was first introduced to the ethereum community in november 2017 i had been in the blockchain uh in the bitcoin space from june until november and then i went to a conference uh blockchain for social impact and it was a room you know microsoft and and uh others and, and the consensus and i was like where did all these really smart people come from <laughs> you know so it was really an eye-opening experience um you know you you say that you manifest uh, you met you. I manifest things is on your LinkedIn <laughs> profile, right? And I, I was, you know, I'm interested in in that. What what are some of the things that you've manifested? And then what's the driving force between you know your curiosity, your persistence, and your courage? Yeah, uh, great question. So I, I see someone's been stalking me online. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I love uh, it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's definitely my tagline. Um, yeah, so the first thing, it, it, it's fun. Uh, manifesting things is such a fun thing to do. And it could only happen when you're having fun and staying present. Um, it's more about a lifestyle of sensing what's happening rather than seeking. Because when you sense, you can learn faster. And once you learn faster, you could you know, pivot. And each little pivot will give you more information to get you to where you want to be, the manifestation of that thing. Um, and sometimes it's not even a matter of days. It's just a matter of rewiring your subconscious and conscious um, and getting into a, a habit of doing so. And I, I'll give you some techniques so for all the listeners out there. There's some really cool things I do uh, that hopefully could help one of you guys out. Um, so, you know, I've manifested this company. Uh, that's, that's for one thing. Um, and, you know, cool fun fact about Split. Uh, we really were one of the pioneers of NFTs and, and technology. Uh, in 2017, we were minting NFTs on Robston uh, testnet uh, from the Ethereum community. Uh, before the EIP for the 721 standard was accepted for the ERC 721s in 2018, uh, I think Dider was the one that you know put it in, uh, you know, or was the one uh, not published on on the EIP. Um, and then, you know, fast forward to today, and uh, this might have taken a little longer for me to manifest. But you know, back then I talked about NFTs. No one really knew what I was talking about. It was really funny too, because I would say, hey, um, it's the ERC20 token, but with the supply of one. <laughs> it's non-fungible, right? <laughs> so, um, but we, we, we built it differently. Um, you know, Josh Dipen, my co-founder and I, um, you know, we, we, we started building that stuff out. But through that, we 
we spent time trying to explain what NFTs are to people, and it wasn't really manifesting the way I want. Um, and this past year, um, and here's some of the techniques that I did. I started journaling. Um, I don't know why it took me so long in my life to journal, but as you write down, it's so therapeutic, and you get such a clear head for the rest of your day. So this habit that I picked up this last year started accelerating some of my manifestation, which is NFT technology. I, I, I genuinely believe NFTs are even bigger than blockchain in itself. I mean, it is like blockchain is really cool, but the NFT is what's really going to make the difference between um, you know how our society is organized and and transacts today, where it can in the future. Um, and not NFTs in terms of collectibles, but like NFTs of the pure technology behind it, of it being like programmable data, essentially. Um, so anyway, back to manifestation. Um, you know, my techniques besides um, journaling have also been, I, I have a boot sequence. And this boot sequence, it's me making a bunch of I am statements and or like uh, what I want to do today, what I want to accomplish, and it's repetitive. And I have 36 of them. That's my number. I don't know why. It just reappear, occurs in my life, and I see it all the time. So I have 36 statements I make every morning. First thing, I wake up. I read them out loud. I read them out loud sometimes 36 times in a row. Sounds kind of crazy, but it actually goes by pretty pretty fast, and it's like a meditative state for me, which is great. But by doing that, you know, I say, you know, like I am an innovator, you know, I am empathetic. I'm a Jedi warrior, right? It could be anything. It's not self judgmental. And with that, you know, I start manifesting an attitude of who I am. And my attitude also starts attracting others and, you know, vibrations, experiences, people that are kind of on that same path. So, um, you know, so some of the things that I've manifested and, you know, the techniques behind them. Yeah, that's 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 pretty cool. I had a uh, entrepreneur coach for a little while too, and he said every he said all the time, make two lists: make a gratitude list daily, and make a brag book. And don't feel embarrassed about making a brag book. This way, it keeps you on track. And one of the things I manifest is I read that book, Think and Grow Rich, and everybody all around me is telling me that I'm retired or that I'm done working, and I'm like, I'm the only one who thinks I have still have a career, so I'm doing that, you know, and. uh so that, that leads me to my next question, the future of work. You know, what is your definition of the future of work? Mine, mine is still staying in the game. What is yours? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it should be uh, free and fun. Um, it, if you could define the future of work as free and fun, we, we've made it as society. Um, making it seem like, you know, slavery or prison. How many times do you ask people, Jamil and say, Hey, like, how's work? You know, and how many times people are like, Oh, it was tough. It was long. Can't wait to get out. Um, you know, there are some out there that say, Oh, I love what I do. Um, but you know, what happens if everybody says that? Are we really working? Um, you know, so that's a question I ask myself all the time. And, you know, I do see blockchain technology and NFTs, uh, you know, get us to a play place where people are working behind for their purpose, not for profits. And I always say this, you know, put purpose over profits. Um, and, you know, a lot of great things will happen, you know, the profits will follow, but do you really need the most profits, you know, and that's one of the fundamental problems I have with capitalism is, you know, it's maximizing shareholder shareholder value. Um, and, you know, what about societal value? What about the employees value, right? It, it, it doesn't capture all the data points that make us feel fulfilled. Um, so, um, you know, 
the importance of work in the future isn't for maximizing profits. It's maximizing fulfillment um, or, you know, a, a um, yeah, fulfillment is a great word. And, you know, to me, it's creating a free market where here's a bunch of things that society needs. Here's like a leaderboard or like a, just like a job board. And there is like a price next to it. And whoever wants to wake up during that day to accomplish that task, that could be verified using blockchain technology. And this is super futuristic. I understand that we're not going to get there in like five years, but hey, it'll be kind of cool and efficient that anybody could wake up at any time to do what they need to do and what they're passionate about doing. So they're not just doing stuff for work, right? They're doing it because they genuinely care. Um, and, you know, I, I don't love that flexibility. I'm a curious person. Um, so I would love to kind of experiment and do a bunch of different things. Uh, but, you know, on a, on a you know, more um, shorter term note, I think the future of work is going to look more uh, around um, autonomous and decentralized systems um, where people have the uh, authority to make decisions on themselves, which means that leadership is going to change. So this whole like micromanager or boss concept is going to start to die out. And the new wave of leadership is, are going to be coaches or mentors. And their jobs are to elevate people's consciousness because the battle is not becoming the best in the company. The battle is really just, you know, making peace with yourself. And when you're at the place of peace, at a place of Zen, you can focus on the task at hand. All those other voices in your head that are doubting you or, anger or um you know jealousy you know keeping up with the joneses all of that stuff goes away and you're just content with who you are and when, when you're content with you or you are you bring out your creative resourcefulness out to society and i want to see that for everybody everybody has magic everybody has something so special and and you know coming to a place where they could just feel safe and secure have that psychological safety just to be themselves and not feel like they're doing something because society tells them to do or Instagram tells them to do or they want to keep up with the Instagrammers. Um, I mean, that, that that's a place of beauty. And I feel like, you know, um, we are on the path of that. And I think the future of work is tied into that. I, uh, I love that. <laughs> you know, I, I, uh, I've been doing this podcast now for a few weeks and mm -hmm. I love, I love what I do. Um, you know, when I, I wrote my book, I wrote a book and published it in October. And then I sent it to one of an, an old professor and he said, well, your corporate career ended. And I'm like, I'm 49 years old. I, I plan to work for the next 30 years and I want to love what I do, you know? Yeah. And uh, I think that's important. So I love that you said that, um, you know, and I love that you care deeply about that. And I know something else that you care deeply about is, you know, youth privilege, so um, youth privilege, equality, and sustainability. And so to, to pivot to that, you know, what have been your, have you been your greatest achievements there? Uh, and um, as well as your, some of your current initiatives you're involved in. Yeah, um, you know, giving back is really important to me. Um, and especially for children, like it breaks my heart thinking of a child, not thinking that they have the same type of resources or tools uh, as others to be successful and that imagination dying inside a child's heart is probably the greatest break uh, heartbreak i could experience <laughs> in life um, no child should ever go through that you know the world um, is their playground and they could they should be able to imagine and manifest whatever they want um, and just just getting to the point of for them to not to feel that way because they come from, you know, a underprivileged community or society where, you know, it's not as affluent 
um, or if they have, you know, race, gender, any type of things that could be discriminated against them. Um, you know, I, I like to be, um, you know, a good role model in that sense. So um, part of the coaching I do, so I've, I've gotten my CTI license um, and I am a coactive coach and, um, you know, I, I do a bunch of different coaching um, engagements for enterprise and for people. Uh, but a lot of the coaching I've done pro bono for kids. Um, and, you know, I still I still have a few uh, mentees um, and I do that constantly. And I've done it for UCI for um, all that matter to. Um, and I still connect with with the UC, uh, University of California, Irvine campus. And, you know, a bunch of their faculty and staff send me referrals. They're like, hey, you know, like you talk to Cyrus. Um, and I, I just like helping kids that young, um, kind of ask themselves questions, right? I don't come with the answers. It's more about asking questions of what is it that is important to them and getting the attention you know, off of, um, you know, Hey, I don't have this that these other people have or whatever it is and putting the more attention of what they do have and kind of like that gratitude. So, you know, that's part of the mindset shift um, and coaching I like to do. I like to be more hands-on with um, the people that are uh, that are impacted. Um, also volunteer, uh, I did, um, you know, Big Brother um, like a couple years ago. I haven't had the chance to do it over the past few years. And that's a bad excuse. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, you know, uh, you know, there, there, there was a priority shift in me um, for for the startup uh, field and and split specifically. So I consciously made that choice. But you know, definitely will look into doing that again. Um, and uh, I guess my greatest greatest achievement. I mean, it's really hard to say greatest achievement because it's really impacting kids' lives, and you can't say one is better than the other. I mean, to me, they're all they're all equal, and they should have an equal chance. Um, but the one I got to see the most was my own sister, uh, Ava. Uh, I'm 15 years older than her. Um, pretty, pretty interesting brother sister dynamic there. Um, but you know, as she was navigating, trying to figure out what she wanted to become and what she wanted and who she wanted to be and where she wanted to go to school, um, helping her kind of navigate that and asking questions that got her curious, that got her to a place of feeling really fulfilled right now it is great. I mean, she didn't get into the school she wanted to get into and helping her through all of that, um, you know, was, uh, was, you know, was a great thing, especially coming from, um, you know, like, you know, our, our family and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So it, it, it was, it was good to see um, she, she got a fair shot and, and at least she thought she had a fair shot and she did have a fair shot and she did um, get to a place where she felt great about herself and where she was and staying present. Um, that type of stuff, you know, I, I like to help out in any way um, as possible. And, um, you know, kind of similar to what Splits built, like one of the things that frustrate me is exploitation of power. Just because you have the power doesn't mean you should exploit um, exploit it, right, or use it. Um, and, uh, you know, decentralization combats that to a certain degree. And that's why, that's why I'm here and do what I do. Awesome. Um, so when I want to use that word exploitation, right. And mm -hmm. I don't really want to define it as that, but when we talk about crypto and decentralization, we kind of share similar views on venture capital, um, you know, specifically exit strategies versus build strategies. You and I both come from a tech background. We're both builders. I built databases for a couple of decades. 
Um, you build too. How can building rather than exiting play a crucial role in creating economic opportunities for the younger generations? Yeah, um, I often say this as a startup, your, your currency of value is not dollars, it's information and learning. And when you're learning and collaborating, you're creating a lot of opportunity and um, intellectual type of thinking or stimulation for others who are either observing you and or part of what you're looking to become. Um, and, and when you're building, the mission there is to build something of value and people come and you teach and you coach and it's not a competition about who's the smartest to get the biggest paycheck or anything along those lines. It's, it, it's, it's more of a, collect, a collective conscious type of movement where, you know, everybody's there together trying to build something for a specific purpose. Exit strategies, um, you know, they promote a little bit of, um, uh, competition and, and, and competition is not bad uh, per se, but you know, there is no guardrails <laughs> or at least in the current system today. So, um, you know, people make decisions, uh, for, for the exit and not necessarily for sharing or, you know, bringing others, you know, we, we don't live in a society where companies could work together and come up with something better together, or at least not, you know, uh, uh for the most part. And, um, and they're, they're being incentivized to compete with each other um, and, you know, potentially harm each other, which is not good for society in some ways. I can understand that, hey, it also drives innovation, but you could drive innovation different ways. It, okay. it doesn't have to be thrown to the pit and, you know, the greatest would survive. Um, you know, th th we, we aren't barbarians anymore, right? There is a level of human consciousness we've got to where we could all collaborate and, and you know, hold a space of peace for each other, regardless of you know, again, who you are, where you're from, age, or any type of quality you get discriminated against. Um, you know, we're all just you know a consciousness, and we're all here experiencing something, and 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 you know, just giving that space for us to kind of be ourselves and learn from each other. Um, I, I think could be um, the greatest impact um, for younger generations um, coming in and they they're not going to be put behind the eight ball um so again exit strategies are you know they're highly leveraged <laughs> to say the least and this whole concept of leverage um is borrowing against the future generation's time so as they inherit this uh this economy or um you know economic situation you know they're they're in debt it's going in a certain direction and it's kind of becoming a prison really like we got to do more just to kind of keep the economy going keep gdp high and again i think those are wrong questions to ask as a society it's like hey are we are we thriving and um, succeeding because you know there a lot of wealth is concentrated into you know a few percent or it, it's um you know well uh, we're living in the scarcity mindset, really. And I think that's what exit strategies promote. And we're going to make this simple. And then I feel like if we live in a more of a biddle or build um, mentality, we're, we're more in a um, abundance mindset because there's so many different opportunities available of building. There's so many different ways to solve it. And when you're trying to do that, that, that vibration off of each other 
um, you know, creates some of a competition, but it's also healthy in a way that we're coming up with different solutions. And look, there might be two or three solutions that might be great and optimized for different use cases, um, which was often what I say about what's the best blockchain out there? What's better than Ethereum? I'm like, why can't two exist at the same time? <laughs> you know, one's good for one thing and another one's good for another. And, you know, you have choice and option. And so, um, you know, I, I do feel like, you know, we need to give an opportunity for younger generations. Um, and this whole mentality of it's too big to fail. Let's bail out all these people. And I'm just like, why? They put themselves in a shithole in the first place. Why would you want to keep on promoting that type of behavior? And it's preventing other younger, you know, people. Yeah, maybe we're younger, but we get discriminated against all the time, too. Yeah, you're just a young kid. You don't know what you're doing. I'm so much older. I mean, that also boils my blood. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I, I try to create a safe environment for, for the people I work with and, you know, let's talk about, um, your, your feelings, your thoughts and your, and what you want to do and experiment and fail. And, um, you know, that's another thing that exit strategies don't have any type of, uh, buffer force failing, right? You're like, you right. got the exit and you did it great and you made us money or you failed, right? But building, failing is part of the process. It brings this little bit of this vulnerability, which, you know, is humbling. And, you know, you fail a couple times and then you finally get to building a product. And that, that whole process is so rewarding. I, I love it. And it's, it goes beyond just making money or, or anything. It's, it's about the person in itself, too, and what they experience and how they shape themselves, um, you know, for, for the rest of their lives. No, I, I well, you mentioned too big to fail there and i spent a good part of my corporate career at aig repaying that 180 billion dollars to the u.s taxpayer <laughs> you know uh, um and then you know you watch during the last half of the 2010 decade you know executives will come in and drive the companies into the ground and make 50 million dollars and in bonuses for doing that while everybody else my age bracket got thrown out of corporate america and told they were too lazy to come back you know so um yeah. i see I see blockchain as the opportunity to rebuild. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, I'll, I'll say one more thing. Um, Split Core Foundation, and a lot, in fact, a lot of the companies that I want to, you know, found going forward are going to be nonprofits. Um, so Split is a nonprofit. It's really like I'm building it for the purpose, and there, there's an economic return some way, somehow um, that I'll be getting out of this. But that's not the main driver. You know, to me, it's like. Do I live in the house I want to live in right now? Yeah. Do I drive the car I want? Yeah. Like, do I want a better car out there? Not really. But like, I, I have what I have and I'm content with it. You know, if I want to fly, maybe I like to fly first class. That might sound a little snooty, but hey, that's just one of those things I like to travel. If I spent a lot of time on a plane, you know, like I, I, I'd, write to, I'd rather feel a little more comfortable there. But as long as I can live within my means of a lifestyle that I pick, you know, whatever it's 5,000, 10,000, 15,000, whatever, I don't care if I have $5. 5,000 or 5 million in my account. You know, I, it's like, can I live the lifestyle I want? Am I in the present? Do I feel happy? Do I feel fulfilled? Am I doing what I want? That's great. And it's irrelevant the rest of, you know, how much money I have. And that mentality of trying to hoard money creates stagnation. And that stagnation of money flow then is um, detrimental to younger generations that don't have access to that type of capital. I mean, like, shit, I would have loved to have $50 million on a company that made negative revenue like Jeff Bezos did back, you know, 20 years ago. That's that's unheard of today, really. Um, yeah, Silicon Valley, there's still select few that they fund. Again, I'm scratching my head as to the fundamentals behind some of these investments. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Um, but yeah, like I, I, I feel like companies should be a nonprofit. Nonprofits could still make money, but you don't need to maximize shareholder value. We should maximize user value, which are the users of the system or the people that are going to be using the system. Um, and if you make a good amount of money from there too, that's that's great. So it's a it's a it's a non-zero sum game. Everybody could win. And I feel like nonprofits are structured that way. That the incentives of leadership aren't to maximize shareholder profits. It's to do what's best for the community members. Um, so you know, B corps are becoming really popular. I've always been fascinated by them. Um, it's it's a like a corporation, but it's a charter that says, hey, I'll also let. Um, you know, even though I want to maximize shareholder profit, it won't be my number one priority. It's going to be a cause that I care about. Um, you know, a random company that's B Corp, and you know, when I looked them up, it was Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> yeah, they they could save money based on some of the ingredients and stuff they do, but they're like, no, we 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 don't want to do that. We don't want to maximize our profits, even though we can. We want to do. We want to build the best ice cream that we we know how. And we'll really pay nice for it. Yeah, it is. I love it. <laughs> Fish food's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> um, you said a couple words there. You said user experience and you said stagnation. Um, okay. You know, we both in common, we, we have agile and scrum experience, among other some stuff um, in technology. How do these okay. tech backgrounds play a major role in creating the NFTs as commodities on what split split focuses on as a business. Yeah. Um, technology is it's it's not like someone sat up one day and derived something perfect in its first iteration and said that's what it should look like. <laughs> it's it, it never happens that way. There's so many variables that you don't know and so many, you know, um, permutations of things that could happen and different roles and personas of people. Um, it's really impossible for one person just to derive that overnight or a week or a month even. Um, so it, this concept of iterative development, um, constantly learning, constantly failing will get you to, you know, the, the end product that you're trying to build much faster. And part of that also, it's even though you're failing a lot, your quality is increasing, which is kind of a, like, it doesn't sound intuitive, but it really is. Um, and you know, I won't get too much into like too technical stuff, but like uh, one of my favorite type of development techniques is called test-driven development (TDD). So all my teams, I this is a really funny story. They're like, "Hey, um, let's write this line of code or build this feature." I'm like, "All right, let's write the test cases first. They're like, "Oh, okay, fine." I was like, "If you know what you're trying to code against, then you're going to be able to code better." And you know, it's a fair statement. They buy into it. I'm like, "Okay, great." So they write the test cases. I'm like, "All right, run them." And they're like, but we haven't written a line of code. I was like, yeah, run them. <laughs> and look, there have been maybe one or two times it didn't fail, but I would say like 99.999% of the time, those test cases would fail and there'll be this big red marker against the test case. And the developer's like, hey, that's annoying me now. I'm gonna like code this to make sure those go green. Um, so it, it, it's, it's, it's baked into quality, but as we're testing and as we're going through this and as we're writing code, we're constantly failing. So, um, but by constantly failing, and we know we're failing, doing the verifications of why we failed is also increasing our quality, build, building better test cases. So sometimes those test cases change as we're learning. But if I wrote those test cases after I wrote the feature, I don't. I run out of time. I I got to I got to cut quality, and that's the, usually the first thing that happens. So 
you know, having a uh, both a waterfall and an agile background, I could tell you so many times that waterfall never worked on time, never got there, <laughs> always delayed um, or increase in budget or decreased quality by shortening the testing cycles because that's the first thing to always get cut. Um, so I, I could say by keeping more of an agile uh, type of um, you know software development lifecycle SDLC. Um, it, it is a lot uh, better for quality and it does reduce cycle time. So again, and maybe in the beginning for agile systems, like if you're getting into the mindset of writing test cases or testing first, it's kind of like, oh, it's gonna slow me down. But you realize that the rework you have to do if you don't test first is a lot more than if you test first, that shortens that rework period of time. And you know, I, I, if, any, if there's any product manager or scrum master or agile coach out there and listening, you know, do not skimp on quality and put it as your first criteria because it will make your company go much faster after that initial investment. It's not much, but getting into that mindset, I, I have seen companies reduce their cycle times by like 70%. Um, I, you know, I, I know because I implemented it with them. <laughs> um, and then, you know, there is a method we follow, or at least this is, this is my techniques on agility, it's called Shuhari. So Shuhari is a, um, it's a method and process taken from a, um, a Japanese martial arts and how um, they use shuhari to master their trade and their craft. So shu means um, follow the rules. So as a sensei, I'm teaching my mentees, this is the way mar this martial arts works. Here are the techniques. Follow, as I say, you do that for a month. Now that you got the understanding of the basics, you go into ha phase which means break the rules. And the way, I, the way I explain that into technologists is start experimenting with four or five different ways of doing something. Now that I taught you the basics that works on many other companies, it might not work with you, but you have a basis point now. Now let's try four or five different processes or ways of doing something. Try them out for like you know, a few months. After a few months, you come back and you'd be like, all right, you did th things a few different ways. Which one felt the best to you? And it's so much more clear when you have context and you live the life of doing something one way or another, rather than just trying to eat a silver bullet that someone gives you. Like everybody tells me, oh, what's the best way to do agile? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like I could tell you how to figure it out because you have to build a system and process that's, that brings out the best in you and your employees, right? And why most agile transformations fail or they take us such a long time is because they try to do what others learn. They don't do what the company is learning, right? And Shuhari builds that where you learn and you put them on paper and then you could decide what's best for you. And then re, the rephase means you become the rules, right? That, that is your identity at that point. Whatever you learned in Ha and the one you chose will become your identity or your agile identity and the way you learn within the company that brings out the best in you. And the cool thing about the Shuhari process, it's also cyclical or iterative. Like, like like life, the circle of life, or like agile, like Scrum or Kanban, they're they're all iterative, and and from there your re will turn into your shoe, right? Because you've done it for so long, and then all of a sudden you're like, hey, I'm stagnant, I'm not growing. All right, well let me go back into the ha phase and experiment on like four or five different ways to do the same thing and see where I'm at at that point. So if we could get into that habit of thinking that way, we could bring so much more efficiencies and quality into what we build. And I 
haven't seen that too often in in the blockchain system. Um, and you know, it's really difficult because of the finality of how blockchain systems work. But there are there are frameworks and there are measures that we could take um, to building, you know, higher quality code. Um, and you know, with that, um, it, it it really helped me get to what an NFT was before even you know before it even got you know acknowledged by you know like I was saying in 2018 by the Ethereum Foundation as the ERC721 standard. Um, I do remember when we started building out the tokenization assets of Split. It was well, uh, the first idea started off with it's a public ledger. And if everybody has access to this public ledger, then everybody, if, if I replicated the public ledger as an inventory database and everybody was a public inventory database that if I made a change on one system, it automatically changed on all others. I was like, oh my God, you could have real-time inventory for the whole entire world. That's phenomenal. Like, but how do you do it, right? So we started building out different methods of doing that using blockchain technology. Um, and one of the ones, like I said, was an ERC-20 with a supply of four. <laughs> <laughs> so we were like, hey, did that work? It worked, but we didn't have a lot of the properties we needed to be able to share that transactional data, right? Like quantity, right? Um, escrowing of the funds for a certain period of time. So we wanted to build in smart contracts within that that made it not an ERC-20. So if, if you wanted to take the Shuhari method, I learned ERC-20. Uh, and that's just a, a, the common token on the Ethereum network. And I took that, I was like, all right, that's the rules. Let me let me start experimenting with this. So I built a couple different variations of what that, uh, what that ERC-20 looked like. And every iteration we built with Josh, it got a little bit better and better and better. And then after about a couple months, we're like, which one looks the best, right? Which one actually worked better as a e-commerce NFT that gives us the most flexibility? And it, the answer was so clear. It was the specific one we ended up going with, uh, which had, sales data okay i'll get into the specifics maybe now maybe not now but in a future podcast but we built a nested nft system it's really cool um they're bonded together and um but you know if you're interested you could read it in our white paper that sounds, <laughs> on our website. That sounds good that sounds yeah, good but yeah but going through that process we were able to find what works what works best for us um and then we made that our standard for how these nfts should look like completely customized and optimized for the e-commerce use case excellent you know there the ux is an ongoing issue in the industry we get in that interx podcast too um i want to thank you very much for your time today um i really enjoyed our conversation and uh one last question for you is how can uh, people out there find out more information about you uh, contact your or reach your company uh, how can they do that yeah. Um, so uh, my handle is Cyrus C Y R U S Kind K I N D. Um, you know, Twitter, um, Instagram, Telegram. Um, I'm I'm all Cyrus Kind. Our website is www.splitcore. Split is spilled with a Y, so it's S P L Y T C O R E dot org. Um, again, we're a nonprofit um, organization, so stop by. We have a couple papers. Hopefully, you enjoy what you read. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jamil. Take it easy. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the latest Irish Tech News podcast. Check back every day for the latest episode. You can follow us on 
Twitter at Irish underscore tech news on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Irish tech news on LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Irish dash tech dash news on Instagram, instagram.com forward slash Irish tech news dot IE and on TikTok, tiktok.com forward slash at Irish tech news.